Hello, and welcome to the Negotiating with IT podcast. Each week, we bring you education, interviews, and insights all about how you can reduce your IT software expenses through negotiation and cost reduction strategies. This show is brought to you by The Negotiator Guru. We help companies reduce their IT software expenses by 10 to 50% through contract negotiation. We are experts in negotiating with Microsoft, Salesforce, Oracle, SAP, telecom providers, and other software vendors. Reach out to us at thenegotiator.guru for a free review of your contract. We will take a look at your contract at no cost and let you know if there is opportunity for reduction. Again, you can contact us at thenegotiator.guru. That's dot G-U-R-U. And now let's dive into the show. All right, so in this episode, we're going to dive into understanding how Salesforce operates. This is a big one, I know, whenever you know we have companies come to us and they're you know, in a in negotiation or they're about to go into one or they're annoyed or frustrated in Salesforce, we're always having to kind of explain how their sales machine operates and like their whole dynamic and the games they play. And so maybe if you can give us some overview and just, you know, some, some of the pointers on how they actually operate as a company and sell. <laughs> I'd be happy to. Yeah, they they focus on, on a 10% increase on every existing customer. It's just that simple. If you're going into a renewal, right, we'll talk about two different scenarios here, right? One is a, a new customer, and the second is an existing customer, right? So let's talk about a new customer first. A new customer, they're going to sell you everything that they can, um, much like a used car salesman would with these extended insurance policies and all this other thing, right? Just because two reasons. One, they want to create as big a footprint as possible inside of your organization, right, to make it as sticky as possible. That allows uh, them to have longer-term revenue, right, one. Two, sales incentive targets are different for new customers than existing customers, which we can talk about later. And then three, with new customers, they're basically going to have you prepay for licenses you don't need. And so, uh, Jake, uh, a term that you came up with, which actually I really like, is is this right size, right price. And that's exactly what, what you need to do right from the beginning, even if you're a new customer. Because the bottom line is a new customer, you're going to buy more licenses than you need. Almost everyone does it. And the reason that is, is not necessarily because you don't know how many employees you have that need licenses. But the fact of the matter is, is that the adoption rate is always slower than people think. And so it's important that you actually create a roadmap of what you think is real as far as how people will adopt using the tool over a one to three, four year period. So you're saying that their reps get higher commission rates for bringing on a new customer. So whenever you're new, they're pretty going to be ruthless. They're going to try to sell you everything they can versus the, you know, the renewal. They might be a little less pushy because they're not getting as much out of that. But that new customer, that rep knows the more they get you to buy, the better. That's right. And, uh, you know, every business is like this. If you think about it, you know, it's much harder to get new clients than keep old ones. And so the sales targets understand that and, and, and they represent that based on my contacts, experience, otherwise... You know, it's it's anywhere from two to ten basis points above what they'd call a renewal customer, an existing customer, uh, for uh, the same products. If that makes sense. So they are heavily incentivized to front load you as much as possible. How do they how do they operating when it comes to that renewal? And they they like you said, they're already planning to book that ten percent increase in your account. Um, but what what other things are they thinking about when it comes to renewal? 
Yeah, they're thinking about a multitude of factors, and it really depends on sometimes the professional maturity of your sales rep as well, how long they've been around Salesforce, uh, what what accounts they've been on, and how much they know your account specifically. Um, but but in general, right, we'll talk about a few different things. One is they want to keep the baseline revenue the same at a bare minimum, if not increased by 10%, which is their target. The worst case scenario for them, so I'll, I'll say the same thing a little bit differently in, in different words. The worst case scenario for them is they can lose $1 on your account. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but that's literally the truth. If they lose $1 on the account, they have to tap into their sales incentive funds, which is basically a pot of money every sales rep gets to distribute to their discretion uh, across their accounts to, to, to do one of two things, either grow the account or keep the account the same. Obviously, they're more incentivized to grow accounts, so they like to invest those funds specifically in growth accounts versus to save. So if you're in a situation where you have a, um, a declining user pool or you're discontinuing products that you don't need, like a part out, et cetera, then they will try their damnedest to reinvest those funds into other products in Salesforce so that the revenue stays flat. If, say, that some of this is happening, you know, we've had a lot of customers where, say, they're dropping Pardot or they're dropping support or something. If you're in that situation of dropping one of those products, you know, they're going to try to push you to reinvest those funds. How do you typically handle that to make sure that you're not going to end up in a terrible spot or they're going to jack up your rates? Is there a better way to handle that conversation if you are going to drop a product there? Well, the first thing you have to do is prioritize your wants and needs inside of a inside of the client, right? So it's not just... Uh, if you're in a situation where you're going to grow your your user base by 20% every year, right? It actually might make sense to just reinvest those funds, reinvest that that dollar attribution that you're taking away from Pardot in your example, right, into new licenses because you need the growth anyway, right? That it gives us a lot more flexibility and freedom to operate inside of Salesforce because the levers are much easier to pull. If you're in a situation where you're actually declining and you no longer need any sort of applications like Pardot, and you also are declining your user base, then we have to basically make a custom negotiation plan that focuses uh, specifically on the wants and needs of the client and Salesforce. You have talked in the past about just how the reps have limited information by design. And again, like the, the Microsoft and the McKinsey playbooks here. And let's maybe dive into that piece of just how they're actually structured, what your rep actually knows, what they don't know, and just how to understanding like the structure of your rep and how they fit into the Salesforce uh, machine there. Yeah, the Salesforce machine. That's perfectly perfectly <laughs> put. Actually, there are multiple levels levels to the Salesforce machine, and the the rep who's your daily day contact is at the lowest level, and quite frankly, kept out of most true information by design. So. There's a few different things I wanted to discuss in this point. One is the sales reps are not empowered to do two things. One, understand where your rates should be. Of course, they have local knowledge based on what their other accounts are, you know, but they don't know the the price book, if you will, per per account. That's by design so that they can have a very organic and rational conversation with you and they, they can personalize the uh, the relationship and personalize the account and so that they can go to bat at this elusive concept called the business desk, right? Which Microsoft is brilliant for as well. And Salesforce learned everything they did from from uh, Microsoft, where 
the business desk, which is this higher upper echelon, kind of uh, mid-tier between the executives and the salespeople, right, uh, are the actual decision makers and what rates and what programs the client can receive. And so the, the account rep has to go to bat, if you will, to the business desk. And the business desk is this elusive entity that says yes or no. And so that the the sales rep can go to you, the client, and say, I'm trying the best I can. This is the best I can get. This is the last and final offer. I've done everything I can to the point where if you get the real good ones, they'll get real emotional about it and, and make it a very personal humanizing effort, right? Which is sometimes done with true uh, intent of saying I've tried everything I can. Sometimes it's it's a, perhaps a little bit more tricky uh, with people, but because they've been around the block a few times, they know how the games are played. But uh, especially the younger account reps, they just don't understand what levers that, that can be pulled because um, they're not empowered with that information. Yeah, and that's one of the things you've talked about in the past of part of really properly negotiating with them is to train those reps how to go and talk to those upper levels or what to say to them. And it's it's an interesting dynamic to think you're you're training your rep on how to work with their own company, but that's, and like you said, in a lot of ways to get the, the best results there. Yes. Part of the, the, the plan here is to create a negotiation plan specifically for you know our clients. But what that really translates into is what messages are we going to send to our account rep at what time throughout the process? And they're strategically placed because what it's going to be doing is empowering the business rep to send the right messages that are highly strategic to the business desk at the right time in the negotiation to get the most value out of that business desk because they have a playbook and we know it. Except that simple. And in terms of their playbook, one of the other things that I know tends to happen, especially as accounts start to get bigger, is this these divide and conquer tactics and the whining and dining and just the the chaos they create within the organization. And uh, I'm curious if you want to maybe elaborate more on just what some of those tactics are. And we, we hear this so many times with our clients where we get on the phone where the, the Salesforce admin is annoyed because they just keep going around them to other people. But as you, you said, this is by intention. By intention, by design, everything. And it's, even, it's not even just your account rep that'll do this. It's actually different levels inside of Salesforce that are going to attack different levels inside of your organization purely by design in the interest of divide and conquer to get all the information from different sources and marry it up behind the scenes so they get a true view of what your organization looks like. And they'll likely know more about what your organization looks like and what your needs are than you do, especially when you're part of a larger organization. That's not no fault to you as a Salesforce admin if, if, if that's who you are, right? But it's simply that they have more people talking to different levels of the organization. And as a result, they can send different messages at different times to to create the, the biggest account that they can. Yeah, and then like you've said, they'll go up to the C-level, they'll go to the Salesforce admins, they'll go down to the user base and just try to get the frustrations of different people and use that story to basically create this chaos so that you know instead of you knowing what you want and what you want to buy, they're basically suddenly saying, well, these people want this and these people want this and they start throwing all these things at you. And you basically no longer have a plan on what you want with Salesforce. And now they're creating this for you and you're negotiating on what products you want instead of on price. That's exactly right. They create a roadmap for you. And then all of a sudden you're on your heels trying to figure out, wait a second, is that actually what we need? Who said that? All this good stuff, right? Which is just a big time suck and energy suck, right? So 
That's exactly right. And they and they specifically target in the larger accounts, they specifically target the C-level. And they wine and dine the C-level. You're exactly right. Be expecting tickets to baseball games, football games, real big accounts, private jets, all this other stuff, right? So that essentially they'll sell them the vision, but they don't actually tell them how much it costs or, or what is actually needed to get to that vision or how long it'll take, but they'll sell them the vision. And as a result, when you have the vision and the executives get excited and they and they don't have a lot of time, they're going to say, yep, that sounds good. And then they'll sign up the organization for something they don't even actually know what they need. So one of the things you talked about is just this, you know, Salesforce doing a lot of whining and dining with the C-level and as they divide and conquer, offering the baseball tickets, you know, uh, all this kind of stuff. One of the things you mentioned is that it's in, the, in our past conversations is that you can really kind of give them communication points and use that to your advantage instead of weakness. So can you maybe elaborate on that a bit? Originally, uh, when I was um, starting my Salesforce negotiation uh, journey, I used to try to tell executives to keep their mouths shut, and that didn't work so well. For two reasons. One, executives don't like being told that. The second is it's very difficult for them to actually do that when they uh, when they pick up the phone and, and want to talk about their business. So instead of uh, telling them, no, don't talk, we actually use a converse approach and actually give them a plan of action so that they can feel part of the negotiation. Almost all the time, uh, executives are happy to follow a plan as long as they know that there is a plan in place and they know why they're doing something, right? So Actually, in the large negotiations, uh, we'll actually tell people, say, you know what, depending on what your personal preference is, you can go to the baseball game, the basketball game, football game, whatever with them. Absolutely. But here's the thing. Here's what you're not going to say. And here's what you are going to say. And here's how you're going to say it. And we give them a plan of action how to do that. And I'll tell you, Salesforce is left dumbfounded because uh, they realize that the, the organization is so well aligned internally that there's no divide and conquering going to happen. And they also understand who's in charge of the overall deal. Usually a Salesforce.com admin, as an example, or someone of that effect would be in charge of the responsible for the relationship. What's very important is that the, the executives empower the Salesforce admin or whoever the lead is and say, listen, this is their, this is their decision. We fully support. Yeah, that's one of the other things you've talked about is making sure that, yeah, that Salesforce understands that, whether it's the CIO or it's the admin or the CFO that they truly believe that the main person that they're negotiating with is the, truly the final decision maker um, and is controlling that deal. And a lot of times they won't believe that, especially if it's a Salesforce admin, they're going to believe that the CIO or someone else is that, which is why they try to create those tactics. But if you can get those communication points aligned and create that whole story, it makes them realize that that Salesforce admin or the CIO or the CFO or whoever is that point of conversation is really guiding it and everyone is aligned with what they have to say. That's right. We're not using any malicious tactics here. We're simply, all we're doing is aligning the organization with specifically what they need and want and so that everyone can speak from one voice. And that is easier said than done, especially in larger organizations with cultures that allow others to speak freely, which is great. But not so great when you're negotiating with a big software vendor like Salesforce. Yeah, that's, uh, that's our whole next episode here is going to be on building the internal roadmap and getting that alignment. But before we get into that one, I want to hit two more points on how Salesforce operates, one of which is just their annual fiscal year. And if you want to kind of elaborate on that, because I know every time come around the end of January, there's a lot of renewals happening, a lot of offers for discounts or people trying to crunch in that revenue. And Curious if you can elaborate on just how they operate or how that time of year changes for them. The Salesforce hustle, I call it. 
<laughs> that's that's a good phrase for it. That's what it feels like. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, their fiscal year ends the end of January, okay, of every year. And if you don't have a lot of experience negotiating IT contracts, you'd probably think that's pretty weird. Because it is, actually. It is kind of weird. Who has a fiscal year that ends the end of January, right? How random. It's done intentionally, and I'll, and I'll tell you why here. It's done because corporate budgets, again, who are their target market, corporate budgets are solidified and closed in December, right? And so what they'll try to do is they will try to capture as much end-of-year budget as they can that can be reenacted in January so that they've got three weeks more to capture more budget after the fiscal year starts for their clients. So let me repeat that. They're going to capture money. Let's just say right now it's February 16th, 2018, right now. In uh, December 2017, they were looking to capture as much budget from the IT budget as possible using a 2017 budget. They are also looking to capture as much January 2018 money because they know, because they're experts on how corporate America works, they know that they've, there's a new coffer of money available come January based on how the budgeting process works. So they'll play games to find the most money possible to appease their clients' budgeting frustrations as well, which everybody has them. Yeah, so it's almost playing the game that, you know, the people that either have the leftover budget from 2017 that they're needing to spend, they can capture as much of that. Or they just, you know, right when that new budget's available in January, they capture it then. And that's why sometimes they push for that December and they try to get it in before the end of the year. And sometimes they almost stall it or wait until last minute in January and then push for it then. That's right. And generally speaking, generally speaking, people have the most money come January of every year. Right, that's just how it works. Think about if you get a get a hundred thousand dollar check, you spend a lot up front, and then you realize that you don't have as much uh, come September, October, November, December. Right? Depending on what your IT budget is, you're you're essentially filled up in January, and that's exactly when they're trying to hit you when you're when you're cash rich. Okay, and and that's why they started it originally, and quite frankly, it works for them. And I don't, I think it's a brilliant business strategy, but it's our job to protect our clients to not fall into that trap. Another final point I want to hit on here as we're wrapping this one up here is just uh, we've had some of our customers who have been with Salesforce for a longer period of time. They may have been with them for five years or so, and they express frustrations in the product name changes, the SKU changes. And just kind of these, you know, different things that keep changing every couple of years. And they say this product looks the same, but suddenly the price point's different. And this is kind of the chaos that they make every year or two by just adding or changing these new products or shifting stuff around. And maybe if you want to elaborate on that and kind of the, the games they play there. I know this is a, one out of the Microsoft playbook as well there. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, they do this for a lot of different reasons. One is primarily what you just said, just create massive confusion so that they can try to upsell the situation, right? It also confuses their sales reps as much as it confuses the clients sometimes, quite honestly, um, to no fault of their own, other than uh, just trying to catch up with what a SKU has from a functionality versus not. So uh, it's ultimately intended so that on the positive side of things, customers get the most up-to-date technology possible, right? They have it as the, the large technology uplift. On the downside is, generally speaking, there's one of two things happening. It'll cost more money, the new SKU, right? And two, you'll be buying technology you don't necessarily need, 
So it's very important that you understand what actual technology you need before you buy it. And you got to get in the weeds and understand and be on top of this stuff constantly. Because if you're not talking to Salesforce every day, you're not staying on top of these things, it's impossible to to know. So that's it. Awesome. And that's what we're going to dive into a lot in this next episode on just building that internal roadmap. We'll wrap up for today. And next, we're going to dive into building that roadmap and getting that internal alignment before you start your negotiation with Salesforce. I'm excited. Thank you for listening. And we hope you got a lot of value out of this show. If you need help reducing your IT software costs, then reach out to us at the negotiator.guru for a free review of your contract. We will take a look at your contract at no cost and let you know if there's an opportunity for cost reduction. Again, you can contact us at the negotiator.guru. That's dot G-U-R-U. -U.